We are so very blessed to uh, hear from Stephen Dewey, who is our uh, youth ministry's intern for the summer, and many of you have gotten to know him, and many of you have gotten to know his parents who are here. It is a real delight to have him and Veronica here. They have uh, fit in just perfectly and uh, really uh, jumped in and uh, coordinated so many things and uh, are really um, quite... Uh, uh, to those who take initiative to see how they might be able to minister and serve our body here. He's uh, just completed his second year at the Master's Seminary, and he has another uh, year to go. And I remember the first time that I stepped into a pulpit. I think this is uh, probably not the first time you've had the opportunity to preach, but I remember the first time, and my, my brother said to me, you know, you said there were uh, four points, but you only gave us three. <laughs> I was so very nervous, so I hope that you're gracious to him and encouraging to him as he comes to open up the Word of God in a very well-known passage that is applicable to all of us. So, Stephen. Thank you, Joe. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is an, is an honor to be invited up here to speak with you guys and open God's Word this morning. I recall a time in college when I was invited to come and share a testimony of something God had done in my life during that year of school. And I, I got up on stage, and, and I was just overwhelmed. I turned around, and I saw the crowd, and just had a, a reflex reaction. The first thing I said in the microphone is, whoa, there's a lot of you out there. <laughs> and that's how I started my little testimony. But anyways, I am a bit overwhelmed this morning, too, coming up here, not because I'm as nervous as I was then, although I'm a bit nervous, and not because there's a thousand of you out there, though there's quite a few of you, but uh, I am overwhelmed because opening and preaching God's Word is a huge task. I'm an imperfect person opening the perfect Word of God and trying to expound it to you guys. Joe does it so faithfully each week, and I'm honored to have the opportunity this morning to open God's Word. May God bless the time we have together now. As you see in your bulletin, our text for this morning is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. So go ahead and open your, your Bibles to Psalm 119. This message is entitled, How to Live a Pure Life, and tackles the question, how can a person make his life pure? Since it's graduation Sunday, I chose a text aimed at the young men and women. The text we're about to read specifically says, young man, specifically says young man, they need it most for the temptation and pride that pull at them in their younger years has not been tempered by years of experience and many, many days and nights praying to the Lord and growing in Christ. And to learn God's way for your life at a young age is a sure blessing, and there is no nobler ambition for a young person. But while focused on grads and other youth, this message is applicable to all. For who is willing to say that this question, how can you live a pure life, does not apply to you? Who can say that? Who here is willing to say they have no need of employing strategies to make their life pure? Have any reached their pinnacle? Have any reached the zenith of their maturity? Surely not. We all need to be asking this question, and we all need to be asking it with the goal of obeying the answer. All who heed these words of the psalmist will live a pure and blameless life. So let's read these words. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. 
With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let us open in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with the task of looking into your word to see what you would have us do, to see how you would have us live. God, bless the preaching of your word this morning. God, work on hearts to grow them, to change them. May we all be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Use this message this morning as a tool in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, questions. Questions. We all have lots of questions. The psalmist here opens with a question. Some young children, upon learning how to speak, all they can do is ask questions. Many of you have kids in that age right now. I see someone nodding their head. And many of you have kids that they just can't stop asking questions. So I found a few of questions online that I thought were fun or intriguing. And, and here's a couple that some kids have asked their parents. One is, why do we have to be born young and grow old? Why can't we be born old and get young? It's a, it's a pretty deep question, actually. Uh, another one is, when it was almost Christmas time, a kid asked, how old does Jesus turn this year? You know, a couple thousand or eternity, infinity. Um, one more that I thought was particularly um, humoring was uh, a kid asked his, his, his uh, mom, why does Miss Kennedy have a mustache like Daddy? I don't know, just a couple of funny questions. Still more questions are being asked by professional golfers right now at the U.S. Open. Uh, in Tacoma, there's a, the last round of a tournament going on today, and you'll hear questions from them to their caddy saying, like, well, what's the wind doing? Or how far to carry that sand trap? Or is this putt going to break left or, or right? You know, they're, they're asking questions. They want to hit the best shot they can, so they need to understand what's going on. They want to know information so they can better do their job. Well, why do we ask questions? Why do we ask questions? There's always a reason. We want to know something, right? When we ask questions, we want to know something. And as is the case with many of the professional golfers out there, we want to know something so we can do something. When it comes to our psalm today, that's why the psalmist is asking his question. He wants to know something so he can do something. The author of this psalm is unknown. Many ascribe it to David. Some just are willing to say that it's, it's unknown. And he's writing an anthem devoted to lifting high God's word, devoted to lifting high God's word in our minds and hearts. This is the second of 22 stanzas that we're approaching today. The first one explained the blessed, joyful position of the person who lives a pure and blameless life. It describes what that life looks like. And this stanza today, the second one, now asks the question and answers it on how to get there. It begins with the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? He wants to know because he wants to do. He wants to cleanse his way. He wants to make his way pure. And he has asked this question. He's recorded it in scriptures publicly so that you and I may learn also how we might cleanse our way. What exactly does that mean? Cleanse our way. What does that mean exactly? Well, the Hebrew 
read very woodenly, says, How can a young man make pure his path? Make pure his path. And there are two things to note here. And the first is the word path. The first is the word path. This is a common Hebrew word. And while it can mean to a, like a path in the ground, you might follow through the woods. It's most often used in scripture figuratively to refer to the path of a person's life. It refers to one's way of life, to a person's lifestyle, how they live, how they conduct themselves. It refers to your life, to your way of life. The second thing to note is the verb, make pure, or as the New King James says, cleanse. This is the idea of becoming. How can I bring this about in my life? How can I make myself to be pure? I'm not there to start with, so how do I get there? Well, when a woman wants to make a fruit smoothie, she will start with a bunch of fruit, perhaps some strawberries, some apples, peaches, maybe some bananas for thickness. All this fruit will just sit on the counter, and it will do nothing unless you do something to it. Unless you do something to it, you'll never get a smoothie. You need to move it from the state of the individual fruits into the state of a smoothie, and that requires a blender, putting all the fruit in that blender, and then pushing my favorite button on the blender, purify. It swirls it up and makes you a nice, delicious smoothie. This is how you bring the fruit into the state of a smoothie. Well, not to be confused with purifying fruit, we want to purify our way, our life. We need to cleanse our path of life from all things wrong and worthless. We need to bring it from the state of impure to pure. It's important to note that we're not already in this pure state. We're not already there. Some translations do render this word, uh, how can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, Which somewhat misses the sense of this verb. Uh, It implies that a person is already pure to begin with and simply needs to stay there. But, But the nature of the Hebrew verb itself appeals to the need for action, the need to move from one state to another, the need to be brought like the fruit from one state to another. And we know this from our human condition, right? We know this from our theology. We know that Every single one of us is born a sinner. We're all born with a sin nature, and we all choose to sin throughout our lives. We begin impure, and we need to be made pure. No one has to teach their kids how to sin. If you have kids, I don't have my own kids yet, but I've been around enough kids to know that they know how to sin from birth. They are born sinners. They know instinctively how to do wrong and how to disobey. And unless they're disciplined, and grow, this continues into adulthood. Every single one of us, whether you're junior high in this room or if you're elderly, we all have a tarnished past, a past filled with wrongs and sins, things that we've done to disobey God and others. We do not need to keep our way pure. We need to make our way pure. And we also know that we cannot do this on our own. Other religions teach that you can work your way into heaven, that you can do enough good things and and live a good enough life and help the poor and and do these things and earn your way into heaven. God will let you and you're into heaven. Or for some religions, if, if you are good, you'll be reborn into this world in a better life form. In one way or another, all other religions have as their focus the, the, cert, the act of, of doing good, of making yourself a better person, trying to earn their way into heaven or to earn God's favor, to earn a better position. But not so the Christian way. 
We Christians know it doesn't work like that. We know we cannot cleanse ourselves from our sin. We cannot make our way pure and thus earn salvation. It takes the saving work of God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse the sinner. Only by the blood of our Savior Jesus can a person be made pure. Can a person be cleansed from sin? The Bible says in Hebrews 9 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But a few verses later it says, Jesus has appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You cannot be forgiven without shed blood, but Jesus Christ shed his own blood in your place that you can be forgiven. He willingly offered himself up to die on the cross as a sacrifice in your place. The penalty for your disobedience to God is your eternal death and eternal punishment in hell. But Jesus sacrificed himself so that you could be forgiven, so that you could really, truly be made pure. The only way Jesus' sacrifice will remove your sin and make you pure is if you believe in him and the work that he has accomplished. He died, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. If you believe this and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is only through Jesus and only through his cleansing, purifying blood. If you've not believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, I urge you to do that today. You can be made pure. You can be made pure in an eternal sense. You can go from impure to pure, but you cannot do it yourself. Only by the power of Jesus' sacrifice can you be saved from your sin. Now, I know many of you in this room, if not most of you in this room, have put your trust in Jesus Christ. You have believed in Jesus. You've put your trust and faith in his sacrifice on your behalf. You are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you've been made pure by his sacrifice. You know that your works have not saved you. And yet you also know, you also know that you need to strive for godliness. You must pursue righteousness. This desire, this drive, this is the evidence of your faith. While no one of you can make yourself pure for eternal life, you do get to partake in the work of making yourself pure in this life. And this is God's goal for each believer, for each of his children, that we would be holy, that we would be pure, without spot, without blemish. Guys, because of our sin nature, we still sin. Christians still sin. It's not the constant pattern of our life, but it does happen. And our goal as believers is to put off sin and to put on Christ. We want to be like Christ. We want to be pure as he is pure. And in that sense, in that sense this morning, we want to make ourselves pure. We do this in tandem with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Perhaps you're familiar with Philippians 2, 12 through 13. In the same sentence, Paul says that it is both us working and God working. Paul says to us, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work together once we are saved to be conformed into the image of Christ. So, in that light, we can ask 
and answer this question, how can a young man, how can a person make his way, his life pure? Not pure for salvation, but for sanctification. Not pure for eternal life, but pure for spiritual growth in this life. And that's how this psalmist, an Old Testament saint, saved by faith, could ask and answer this same question. For New Testament believers, we seek the same goal. We want to be made pure in this life. So, how can a Christian person make his life pure? How can a Christian person take part in their side of sanctification? And here we have the short answer. The short answer, the second half of verse 9. By taking heed according to your word. By keeping our life according to God's word. This is pretty self-explanatory. And I can only highlight the importance of it. If we love God and want to be holy as he is holy, if we want to be pure as he is pure, we obey his word. We keep our life path on course by following the word of God. He says later in the psalm, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is part of the beauty of grace-driven sanctification, of grace-driven Christian growth. How do we take part in our growth in godliness? Know and follow God's word. Every single part of our Christian growth, even what we might deem our part, can only be accomplished by the word of God, which he has given us in love. We are helpless on our own. The Bible is God's cleansing agent for sin, and without it, we will never live a pure and holy life. He's given us the means by which to partake in making our life pure. And furthermore, we cannot understand or even know God's word without him opening our hearts to understand it. Look ahead with me a little bit, if you would, at verse 12. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist knows that he lacks understanding and he needs God's help. The statutes here are just a synonym for God's word. The psalmist is saying that he needs God to teach him. Without God's spirit, spirit enlightening the eyes of even believers, we will not learn God's word. So when you come to his word, ask for him to open your eyes, to understand it, to know it. You must have the spirit in you to understand his word, and you must go to him and ask for understanding. And he will fill your heart and your mind with knowledge. So the psalmist asked God to teach him his word. We would be wise to do the same. Well, this is the short answer. Take heed according to God's word. Listen to what it says and obey it. But there's more. There's a lot more. This is just the, the Twitter post. And he's going to follow it up with a Facebook blog post. He, he's, it, uh, it's the how, he's about to give us the how-to manual of keeping your life according to God's word. And if I may uh, borrow the title from a common self-help book series, this is Keeping Your Life According to God's Word for Dummies. Coming up here. He's going to give us the explanation, the illustration of how to keep your life according to God's word. And in your bulletin, you'll see your notes. This is the long answer. The long answer. And it comes with three action items. The first is, seek God's will with your heart. Seek God's will with your heart. Well, last week, my dad and I went out on a Saturday morning for a trip to Lake Sammamish, complete with donut and top pot coffee in hand. And uh, we were having a good conversation there at the lake. And 
And he asked me what I was going to preach on today, and, and so I told him this passage, and he kept you know, asking a little more questions. I go, what are going to be your points? And so I gave him these three points, and, and he said that the, uh, the other two made perfect sense, and, and he, could, he, could, he could see himself doing those, but the first one is a little bit nebulous. The first one, what, how do you seek God with, with your whole heart? What does that mean exactly? What does this mean exactly? That's a great question, because I've asked that too. Many of us have asked that. How do we seek God with our whole heart? What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, I, at, the, at the lake, I gave him a, a real brief answer and asked for him to wait for a message today. So here's your, father, here's your Father's Day present, Dad. I'll, I'll, I'll give you your card later. Um, no, but so here, here, let me try and unpack this question for you to help you understand more of what it means to seek God with your whole heart. And to do this, first we need to understand what, what the heart is, what the heart is. In Jewish culture of Old Testament times, the word heart had a few different meanings than our own word for heart today. Like in English, the word love has lots of different meanings and used in lots of different ways. Their word heart kind of had that same, that same function where it had a lot of different meanings. For the Hebrews, primarily the heart was the seat of the intellect, was the seat of the intellect, where the, where the thinking occurred. In our society, in our English society, the heart is the seat of the emotions, right? We, when we, we say, I love you, say, I love you with my heart, because our emotions come from there. But for the, for the Israelites, their emotions are, are their bowels, or their, their kidneys. Think of when you're really concerned about something, your, your stomach turns over. You, you, feel, you don't feel it up here, you feel it lower. And that's, that's where they got the, their, um, their use of bowels or kidneys when they wanted to talk about emotions. Uh, it, if you were an Israelite, you might say, I love you with my whole bowels. Just husbands, try that one on your wife when you get home and see how it goes, <laughs> right? I would love to see those Hallmark cards. Um, but the heart to a Jew primarily is where the intellect came from. And in a metaphorical sense, I, it, it referred even more to the totality of one's being, to the totality of a person, the, the intellect, the, the will, the volition, and even it included the motion, included the entire body, depending on how, on how it was used. And in, in this context, it is quite clear that this is the, this is the sense. It's the entire body, the entire, the entire being, the intellect, will, emotion, seeking after God, seeking after God. The psalmist wants to make sure there's no confusion, so he adds the adjective whole, with your whole heart, with your whole being. Every faucet of his personhood was going to be engaged in seeking God and seeking his will. It's a mindset and tireless drive so completely dedicated to seeking God. Well, not many of us can say it so resolutely as the psalmist did. He says it so strongly, with my whole heart I seek you. This is the psalmist's purpose. He has set his life to it with his whole being he has set himself to seek God and to know God with everything he is. Young people, youth, can you boldly claim right now that you seek God with your whole being? Fathers, can you claim that? Everyone else in this room, can you claim that you seek God with your whole heart? I want to say that I can, but I, I can't. I want to get there. I want to move there. And I know we all do. Will you strive to be able to claim this about yourself, to say resolutely, to say strongly with the psalmist that with my whole heart, O oh God, I seek you. Let us strive to be there. 
Well, a heart wholly devoted to God fears one thing. It fears one thing. It fears being unholy. It fears being impure. And the more a man's whole heart is set upon holiness, the more he dreads falling into sin. The psalmist knows this, and he fears straying from God's command. So he cries out in the second half of verse 10, Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. He's saying, I really want to obey. Please help me from wandering off course. Don't even let me by accident step out of line. I don't want to do anything inadvertently wrong, not even one accidental slip up. I want to be with you, God, at all times. He's not thinking of a particular sin he's struggling with. He's asking that he can be so careful that not even by carelessness might he slip up, not even on accident. He then states his resolve, states his resolve in verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The New King James says hidden. Some other translations, the NASB says treasured, ESV stored up. And those all help you get the idea of the picture that this is complete saturation. His mind is so saturated with the word of God. This came from memorization of it and constant study. Notice also in verse 11 how he uses the word heart again. He has stored it up in his heart, in his intellect. Here he uses the heart to refer just to his intellect. It's not about warm emotional fuzzies that you might get if you're like holding a kitten, a, a furry kitten that's purring in your lap. No, his, his mind, his intellect was full of the Bible. Why? Why did he do this? So that he might not sin against God. This was his driving passion. He sought God with everything he had. And he wanted no accidental wandering or in no intentional sin to be part of his life. This was his life's pursuit, to seek God with every fiber of his being and to put sin to death. The more a person's whole heart is set upon holiness, the more he dreads falling into sin. So this is what it looks like to set your whole heart on seeking God. To to give everything, your entire mind, your emotions, your will, to know God, to be in his word, to know everything he has for you, to strive after him all your days. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy watching the U.S. Open, or you can't enjoy playing Ultimate Frisbee, or you can't enjoy um, other things in this life, but that your heart's desire, your heart's drive, your main goal of your entire life is to know God, that you are seeking after him with everything that you are. The person who does this will make their life pure. So I ask you, what is your heart set upon every day? Do you store up God's word in your mind? Do you ponder it routinely? Do you seek God so much that you naturally hate all forms of sin? To make your life pure, you must pursue seeking God with your whole being. Let this be the drive of your life. Well, we move now to the second action item of the long answer, the second action item, and that is celebrate God's ways with your mouth. Celebrate God's ways with your mouth. As the psalmist has just recounted his deep, deep desire to know God personally, he seems to involuntarily exclaim now in verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, these are words of adoration arising out of intense admiration of God's divine character, which he's humbly trying to imitate. 
He blesses God for all that he's revealed to him in his study and that he has accomplished in him and through him. And now he says to him, teach me your statutes. And as we saw earlier, the psalmist knows that apart from God's grace, he can learn nothing. Well, the one who was taught in verse 12 becomes the teacher in verse 13. And here he declares the judgments of God with his lips. He declares the judgments of God with his lips. What God revealed to him in his secret personal study, he now proclaims on the rooftops. He wants the world to know what God has taught him, what God has revealed in Scripture. He wants everyone to know what is in this book, what has been revealed to him. One of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. Many of you have helped serve here, taught Sunday school here, and I know you've been blessed by that as you prepare to teach the, the kids or the, the youth. You've been blessed by that as well. Perhaps you've given a devotional at some point as well, or maybe you've even taught a, an adult Sunday school class, and you, you know that the best way to learn is to teach. The best way to learn something is to teach. And I've experienced that myself just in preparing for this message. Like Just pouring over this, this passage has been incredibly refreshing to my own soul. But in the process of studying to bless others with the things of God, you are growing yourself. And I just want to encourage you, if you ever felt spiritually slack, find a platform to teach. It can be one-on-one, teaching your children. It can be encouraging your spouse or somebody else. But find ways to teach others. Maybe you need to go evangelize and share the gospel and teach the truth of Scripture with other people. This will help you learn as well. And this is what the psalmist says he does. He proclaims, he declares with his lips all the judgments of his mouth. And alongside his declarations, the psalmist also delights in God's word. As the New King James puts it, he rejoices in it. Someone so saturated in God's word has grown fond of it and loves it dearly. It has become his close companion and he rejoices over it and delights in it. This is an exuberant, festive joyfulness. We can even say it's celebratory, hence the subpoint title. Just as you would rejoice, just as you would rejoice and celebrate if you were to unexpectedly inherit a wealthy estate, you should rejoice and celebrate over God's word. His testimonies are priceless. And we should celebrate over them as if we were receiving all riches. You have the priceless invaluable word of God, inestimable how much this is worth. It is priceless. Let us rejoice over it. And there are numerous ways you can do this, numerous ways to rejoice in God's word. You can do it privately in your own devotions. You can, you can do it in your prayers. You can rejoice over the words of God that you have read. You can rejoice over God's word and the, tru- in the truth as you witness to others. Share the truth with others and let them see how much you love God's word. And you can rejoice in joyful worship and regular church services like these. After the service, after I'm done preaching, we'll sing a few more songs and you'll have opportunity to rejoice together in what God has done in God's word. Set your heart to joyfully proclaim the character and the deeds of our God. This is the second action item on your way to making your life pure. Celebrate God's ways with your mouth. The third and final action item is to study God's word with your mind. Study God's word with your mind. And this one seems most appropriate given our need to take heed according to God's word. How can we do that 
if we do not know God's word. We must study it. We must study it with our mind. We must be engaged mentally when we, when we go to scripture. Look at what it says in verse 15. Verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Meditation, says James Montgomery Boyce, meditation is recalling what we have committed to memory and then turning it over and over in our minds to see the fullest implications and applications of the truth. I really like how he puts that there. Recalling what we've committed to memory and turning it over and over again in our minds for the fullest implications and applications of the truth. All you young people who just finished school this week or a few weeks ago if you were homeschooled, you guys know what it means to meditate. A couple of you I know had finals this past week. And in your finals, unless you're a poor student, you took your, your material and studied it very deeply. Studied it hard so that you would do well on your finals. That's the basic picture of meditation, to, to pour over the material so much that it sticks with you. Anybody who's ever studied for an exam knows what it is to meditate. And adults, you're, you're not off the hook because we need to meditate on Scripture throughout our lives. We need to be constantly studying it, memorizing it, hiding it in our hearts so that we might know it. This is part of meditation. And it says, we will contemplate God's ways. Contemplate his ways. This word for ways is the same one that we find in verse 1 where it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's the way of life. It's God's way of life. It's God's lifestyle. It's how God is. We are to contemplate the nature of God, who he is, his attributes, his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his justice, his, everything about who God is. We are to be contemplating his way, his path, his way of life. Well, we take this word and we take what we know about God and we study it and we apply it to our life. And as you develop and grow in your love for God and his word, you will start to rejoice in it, like it said in verse 14. And then you will want to meditate on it. You will want to study it. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. The more you study it, the more you love it. The more you love it, the more you study it. And on and on. So if you're not in God's word, I encourage you to get in God's word. Once you start studying it, you'll start to love it. Once you start to love it, you'll want to start to study it. The more you study it, the more you love it. The more you love it, the more you study it. And it keeps growing and growing until you are just head over heels in love with the word of God and the truth that he has given us. So I encourage you, get into the word of God. Get into God's word. This person who contemplates and meditates on God's word and God's ways, this person will also delight himself in God's statutes. Verse 16, and he will not forget God's word. The word for delight, delight here is actually different than the word for rejoice in verse 14. The word here is more of a settled pleasure, like the mmm you get after you taste rich and creamy Tillamook's utterly chocolate ice cream. Utterly smooth ice cream. That's my favorite. And it's, just, it's that mmm that you have, that kind of delight. And I hope we've all had moments like that in God's word, too, where you're reading through his word and a verse or a passage just soothes your soul and comforts you and you take pleasure in it. I had one of those moments just earlier this week when reading Psalm 31. I happened upon verse 5, and it stuck out to me. Into your hands I commit my spirit, it says. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Just that reminder that I could, that I could, I could 
put myself into your hands, I can commit my spirit. I can put myself into his hands and that he has redeemed me. It's the truth. He has redeemed me and he is faithful God. So encouraging. We find these kind of delights all the time in God's word when we delight ourselves on his statutes. We need these. We need to be renewed and refueled. We need the fresh delights. And the psalmist knows the importance of this so much so that he ends his stanza, he ends the second stanza with, I will not forget your word. This is not about memory. It's not about losing what you've memorized. It's about consideration of God's word. He will not forget to consider the word of God. He will not forget to read and study it. He will not forget to call God's word to mind in any situation when he needs to act. He has saturated his mind with God's word, and he will always call it to mind when he makes decisions. He will not cast it aside. He will not forget God's word. Well, the application here, the application here is quite simple. Notice the I will statements in these last two verses. Every single line is conducted by an I will statement. I will meditate on your precepts, and I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The godly person who desires to make his life pure will commit to do these things. So the application question then is, will you? Will you meditate upon God's word? Will you contemplate his ways? Will you take pleasure in the words of life that he has so graciously written down for us? God has been so kind in giving us this word so we can know how to live, so we can know how to be pleasing to him and how to live a life pleasing to him. And lastly, will you never forget to consider it, always letting it be the authority of your every decision? Can you say that with the psalmist? I will. I will. I pray that that would, be your, that that would be you. I pray that you will. And I also pray that you will study God's word with your mind. And working back, I pray that you will celebrate God's way with your mouth. And I pray that you will seek God's will with your whole heart. We come then to, to close with the final question we started with. How can a young man keep his way pure? And I'll leave you with the short answer. By taking heed according to God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we are so thankful for this word that you've given us. We are so comforted by it, by the truths therein. God, we as believers diligently want to be conformed to your image. We diligently want to be like Christ. We want to be holy as you are holy. God, work in hearts in this room, work in my own heart to to grow in that desire, to grow in making that a reality. Make us pure word according to your make us pure Lord according to your word. We know we cannot do it on our own. We know that you must work in us. So do that this morning, Lord. Work in our hearts. Give us a strong desire to be made pure. And God, give us the grace and the strength to get there. I pray now as we sing to you, as we lift your name, hallowed, that we would rejoice, that we would celebrate your ways with our mouth, and that we would do so, Lord, so thankful for what you have done. Remembering everything that you've done, Lord, remembering your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.